Hi, this is Adina here with this week's episode of Wonder Your Way to Brilliant, podcast show of Courage to be Curious. And this year, all year long, as you know, we are looking at the yamas and the niyamas, the principles for yoga's ethical practice. And in the month of June, we've been talking about the yama, the final yama in the set of Aparigraha, which is non-attachment or letting go, non-possessiveness. And so we look at these different aspects of Aparigraha. And in today's episode, I want to explore something that Deborah Adele, the author of this version of the Yamas and Niyamas that we're looking at, calls, the section is named Let Go of the Banana. And I love this story, so I'm going to share just a little bit of the story. But it is literally about how monkey catchers um, would catch monkeys. And what they would do was not run and chase the monkeys, but what they would do is they would take a, a cage that had bars on it, and they would place bananas inside the cage. And what would happen is that the monkeys, who were totally free, would come in, and they would stick their hand through the bars, and they would grab the banana, and the bars were too narrow for the bananas to be extracted. And then when the monkey catchers would come up, the monkeys were totally free, but instead of letting go of the banana and running off, they would stay attached to their banana. They would hold on to the banana, which in essence would give the catchers the opportunity to put them in captivity and take them off. So when I read this, I don't like to think about what actually happens to the monkeys because having visited um, some places in Costa Rica where they talk about what happens with monkeys who are caught and then made into pets and all kinds of things. So we'll, we'll kind of put all that piece of aside, but I think the expression of how the process happens and that these monkeys are completely free. They could get away from the monkey catchers at every, at any time, but they stay attached. They stay clung to something that they feel like they have to have or they want that in the end becomes the source of their peril, right? The reason that they become no longer free. And so I think you can see where this is going in the sense of a parigraha. And this idea of what do we stay clung to? What do we hold fast to that in essence keeps us from being free? Because we have this idea, we have these things that we're not even aware of sometimes. And I, I mean, I can say this because I know that I'm hanging on to things or clinging to things. And until I realize that it's just something I've clung to and I could let go of, I have no idea how much it's been kind of imprisoning me or holding me captive to something or keeping me, you know, kind of going in a certain direction that may not be the right direction or chasing after something that might not be the thing to chase after after just because I am trying to stay attached to this notion or this idea about something. And so she has this beautiful quote that says, our expectations keep us captive and often disgruntled, and yet we choose our attachment to them rather than our freedom. And so in the rest of today's episode, I want to talk a little bit about what are some of the things that we can stay attached to. A banana is a very physical, tangible thing. And so there's certainly those things in our lives. So do we stay attached, for example, to a car whose payment has become for one reason or another, you know, more than what we can reasonably handle in a given time? Do we stay attached to a 
place that we're living in because like a house or an apartment or something like that that we're living in, even though letting go of it might solve some kinds of problems for us. As many of you know, I used to work in divorce coaching and the house was one of those things for a lot of people. It was the banana that people staying attached to staying in the house, even though it might have been financially wiser to let go of it or you know, better overall for the transition of the family to let go of it. But we can become very physically attached to a thing, you know, a tangible thing like a banana. And so we can ask ourselves, is there something that, you know, it's sort of been gnawing at me physically that like a tangible thing that I could be getting rid of, but what's the reason I'm staying attached to it? I think those in some ways are easier to find because in some ways they've been nagging at us. They're either creating some kind of financial problem or an argument or stress with another person over something tangible and physical. Um, So I think they can be a little bit easier to detect, even if not easier, easy to let go of. The other kinds of things, though, that we can hold on to is we can hold on to perceptions or ideas about things. And those can be a little bit more difficult and challenging to detect. So I wanted to just give off some categories here just to provoke our thinking a little bit and then maybe talk about a few of the ones that I have either challenged in the past or even I'm currently in the midst of challenging about myself just really is to give a model as to what does this kind of self-conversation sound like. So what are some of the things that I may be holding on, or in general, people may hold on to? So I wonder how much, and especially having been a teacher, we hold on to an idea about ourselves or a self-concept. So I have been a teacher and I have seen classrooms and perhaps even been guilty of it at some point of leading a child to down the path of having a certain belief about themselves, whether that belief is I'm really good at a particular thing, like I'm really good at drawing or I'm really good at math or I'm really good at something, or perhaps that I'm not so good at something. Well, I'm not such a strong writer or, you know, I, I really can't spell or this idea that, you know, I just don't work well in groups or this idea of, You know, I don't like projects. Projects always make me anxious. And once we've given ourselves a self-concept, it's amazing how much of our life we tend to very unconsciously design to conform around that self-concept. And we've all seen this. I've certainly, you know, seen it in plenty of cases where somebody says, I'm not good at math, I'm not good at math, because Either some teacher's method of teaching wasn't a good match to them or they struggled with one particular aspect of it. But then I come and meet them at some later time and discover that their mathematical reasoning is stellar and exceptional. And then it's work to change that self-concept because they have conformed so much of their life and their idea about who they are around the, the idea that they're not good at math. So is there a sense, a self-concept that we have? I'm not confident. I'm not a good speaker. I don't like certain things, you know, even foods. It's funny, um, you know, the ideas of what foods I don't like, but I perhaps haven't tried them. I remember I went through my entire childhood saying, I hate mushrooms, I hate mushrooms, I hate mushrooms. And in actuality, I just kind of got attached to the idea at some point because it kept me safe from having to try something that I decided was very slimy and yucky, whereas as an adult, mushrooms is one of the main staple foods around our house because at some point I was willing to let go of the notion that I didn't like mushrooms. 
But what about bigger ideas about ourselves of who we are, whether we're social, socially adept or not socially adept, whether we're perceptive in certain ways or not perceptive, we're good at certain things or bad at certain things. We're too loud, we're too soft, we're too cranky, we're too, we sleep too much, we uh, laugh too loud, we, you know, all these different kinds of things that we may have heard somebody say about us at some point. And to what extent have we been holding on to them? And in what ways might that clinging to that self-concept be keeping us a prisoner or keeping us from enjoying life in a certain way? And just a curious thing to think about. What about the ideas we cling to about other people? And those can be big categorical things like, I, I just don't like big crowds. I just don't like people, you know, like some of us have this thing, you know, that we make generalizations about big crowds of people, but we may also have someone specific in our life that we just say, you know, I, I don't like this person or this person is too much of something for me or too little of something for me, or, you know, they're too judgmental. They're too loud. They're too, um, they're overly giving. They're not giving enough. And it's natural for us to try to understand people and put labels on things because it's how we make sense of them. But then I get curious about what happens when we overly attach to that idea. And, you know, I even think about, I have one of these metaphors that I have two daughters. One is like the tortoise, one is like the hare. They're always running, you know, one is always running a race and, you know, kinds of things. But then when I pause and I say, well, is she always the hare? And to what extent might that not be entirely true? And to what extent might that drive my perceptions about her? And what about my tortoise? And, you know, the one who's slow and steady and is, you know, just kind of moves through things in this, you know, quiet way. But then when is that not true about her? And when could that be limiting in my perception of her or if I said it too much in her perception of herself? Because language that we use is very important. So what ideas about ourself, what ideas about someone else might we be holding on to that are keeping us from relationship, keeping us from a sense of self-love or a sense of being able to love others easily or care well for others or be in good relationship with them. What about things we might cling to in a sense of need? You know, I often hear things like, I just need to have this and then, you know, once I have this, once I have this new job, once I lose this amount of weight, once I get settled in this new place, you know, once this thing happens, then I will be okay, then I'll be all right, then, you know, I'll be able to rest. And so to what extent does this sense of needing something, particularly something that we need in order to feel contented or happy, to what extent is it holding us hostage? To what extent is it keeping us in a state of anxiety or stress that really isn't serving us? And we're the ones generating it because we've made our contentment, we've made our sense of ease conditional upon its arrival, something that we may not have any control over. And so to what extent are we clasping, grasping and clinging to this need for something? And what would happen if we let it go? What if we happened, if we no longer needed that thing to occur in order to feel safe, in order to feel secure, in order to feel content, in order to feel at peace or rest? And what if we posed the notion, is there any reason I can't feel those things right now? 
am I just holding on to the banana and keeping myself, you know, allowing myself to be imprisoned because of that need? Another idea is, are we imprisoned by our own sense of lack? I don't have enough money. I don't have enough friends. I don't have enough invitations to places. I don't have enough time. So is there a sense of lack that we've created that we're really clinging to? Like, why would we want to cling to a sense of lack? But the mind is such a funny thing, such a funny place. And it can get hooked on virtually anything. So have I gotten attached to an idea, a concept of lack in my life that I may be using, you know, to keep me protected, like, well, maybe I, you know, that sense of lack keeps me from, you know, having to do better at something, or maybe it just keeps me in a persona that I've gotten used to and brings sympathy in my direction, or it give maybe it's become so much a part of my identity that without that sense of lack, I would kind of not know entirely who I was because I've always centered a lot of who I was around that lack, whether it was learning to be as frugal as I possibly could. And now that's part of my self-identity because I've gotten attached to that lack. Or maybe I've gotten even attached to how hard life is. But again, that hardness, that difficulty of life that stems from my lack um, has become part of a self-concept. And without the lack, who would I be? I know it can seem like a far stretch to listen to, but after this podcast, when you sit down and you really look at the things we're clinging to, we can cling to things for really unusual reasons. We, the, the mind can latch onto something, not because it serves us, but just because it's so familiar and it's become attached to it because the mind likes patterns. And what about, of course, uh, one of the big categories is clinging and holding on to certain emotions, holding on to guilt, frustration hurt, anger, and resentment. You know, we ask ourselves, you know, I hear lots of times from people about family issues, you know, these two haven't spoken for X number of years, or I'm still angry about X that happened, or, you know, I still feel really hurt about something that happened four years ago, or siblings that don't talk to each other because there was a hurtful event that happened 15 years ago. So why do we cling to these emotions? Where does that need to hold on to that resentment, the hurt, the anger, the frustration, the guilt come from? How is it serving us? So this notion of a parigraha really compels us to take a look at those things, not just non-possessiveness or attachment to physical things, but non-possessiveness and attachment to these concepts, to these emotions, to these senses of self and others that really do keep us from living in a way that is free, emotionally free, physically free, relationally free. So I wanted to take this idea and make it very personal to kind of, as I said, give a sense as to how do I think about these things for myself as you're on the journey of thinking about them for yourself. And, you know, one of the ones, and I'll say this one's very raw because it's still in progress, can't kind of tell you the outcome of it yet. But I've recently been um, listening to an audible book, which I am really enjoying called Quiet. And it is the, the power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking. 
And I've been fascinated by this book because I've had this belief about myself as an extrovert for my whole life. And, you know, whenever I take the Myers-Briggs and I do think like, you know, how accurate are some of these things, but also our sense of ourself can change and whatever. I've always come up as an E, as an extrovert when I've done things in like the Myers-Briggs category. But suddenly, you know, the last few years of my life sort of felt like, well, when I ask myself those questions, do I really love to be out at parties? Do I really, what do I get energized by? What don't I get energized by? and things like that, it's made me curious. And listening to her book and the kinds of description of introversion and extroversion and the nuances I might not have been aware of, it's made me willing to let go of that banana and wonder, am I really an extrovert? And what aspects of my self-concept and what aspects in the design of my life have I constructed around the idea of being an extrovert? What ideas of my own success have been, ha, have been constructed from the belief that I am an extrovert, a full-on, full-blown extrovert? And it's funny because once I started to ask myself the question, I've become really fascinated in looking at the answer. Like when I've defined my success, have I defined it in terms that sound very much like how an extrovert would define them, but are they actually really what would feel like success to me or feel like fulfillment to me. But I'll tell you, I'm 51 years old and I have not been ready to let go of that banana until recently, getting, you know, literally just starting to consider prying my fingers off of that banana of extroversion to consider a different self-concept and then to consider all of the dominoes that would be affected about my life if I no longer clung to the idea that I am an extrovert and that my notion of my success is defined in certain kind of extroverted terms. So that's what I'm currently grappling with. Anybody who's interested in the book or has gotten sort of, you know, ever thought of themselves, I'm an introvert and this is what this means about me, or I'm an extrovert and this is what this means about me, I would encourage you to look at the book. Um, and I, another one that I have thought about and has completely transformed, um, has been my relationship with time and productivity. So I used to be somebody who filled every single space with another thing to get done that again, my notions of success were partly tied up in my notions of productivity too, and measuring all measuring my success by the amount that I got done in a day. And over the last number of years, and I know I've talked about this in different ways on the podcast, I've really changed my relationship of what is the, what do I want the purpose of time to be in my life? Do I want time to be about getting another thing done? Or if I have a finite number of moments in my life, what do I really want those moments to be filled with? You know, what would it mean to have moments of time that were just for pure reflection or rest, or time outside, or, you know, playing in something that really had no other functional purpose except enjoyment, right? So it's, I've been willing over time, and over the last number of years, I've made a significant change in my relationship with time, but I had to be willing to let go of the banana. I had to be willing to let go of the idea of myself as this highly productive person who made every single moment count by meaning that every single moment was spent accomplishing something else that could be ticked off on a list.
Another one that I have worked with over time was letting go of the banana, the belief about what do I need in order to feel secure in life. So again, inadvertently, because our mind does all of this subconsciously, we can create ideas about what does it mean? What do I need to feel secure? And we can say, you know, I need this in a house. I need this amount of money. I need these kind of people in my life. I need, you know, these kinds of things. And it's amazing how much of a list we can come up with of the things that we need. And then the curious nature of have we created a list that's unattainable so that we can ever feel truly secure? Like, do we spend our entire lives trying to find, construct and build and get all of the things that would make Make us feel secure such that we spend most of our lives not feeling truly safe and secure, whether that's in relationship or in our physical, physical experience. And is that a banana we want to hold on to? So this is the offering today, and it's a pretty big one, you know, to really look at a parigraha from this deep place and say, what are the bananas that we are holding on to? And in what ways are they imprisoning us in our lives? Are they keeping us from a sense of freedom? Are they keeping us from joy? Are they keeping us from relationship? Are they keeping us from love, love of self, love of others? Are they keeping us from appreciation? Are they keeping us from contentment? Are they keeping us from relaxation? So a lot of big questions here at the end of today's episode. Um, so I invite you to sit with the questions we will be back next week for our final episode and the exploration of a parigraha. As always, I really love to hear what people have to think and say in response to these podcasts. So if this has struck a chord with you, if you feel like, you know, I just want to share something like, Adina, you know, what happened for me when I listened to this podcast? Or, or what is one of the bananas you've let go of or considering letting go of? I love to hear about it. So you can always reach me at Adina. A-D-I-N-A at CourageToBeCurious.com. You can send a message through the website. You can hop onto the Courage To Be Curious Facebook page. Um, and so love to hear from you in those respects. And then join me again next week for our final episode on the Yama of Aparigraha.